Hello, this is Donna, and today's episode is called My Avatar, the Ego. I want to start off with a little story. When I was 25 years old, I became the manager of a large tax office. And when I got that promotion, I thought that I was something special. <laughs> Looking back, I realized I was just naive enough to take the position because I didn't know what I was getting into. It came with a long list of issues. I uh, had a large staff, several of whom I would eventually discover were somewhat corrupt in their practices. It was located in the bad part of town, which meant that during our busiest times when I would call other branch offices to send help, many of the tax professionals from uptown, who literally had no clients to serve at that time, wouldn't come help us because they were afraid. And being in that part of town, we had a fair number of intoxicated clients and other issues. <laughs> so that first tax season was a little hellish because I had so much to learn and because I hadn't yet matured enough to understand my ego. With hundreds of clients every day and up to four hour long wait times during our busiest three weeks, I had plenty of customer complaints to handle. Some because they didn't get the refund they had anticipated or because they owed instead of getting a refund, and others because their tax professional maybe wasn't as friendly or didn't take enough time with them as they had anticipated and wanted. If you've ever worked in a service industry, you know that there are basically two types of customer complaints. The first, because of honest mistakes that were made or bad service or defective products. The second, because a client is trying to get something given to them, and they've learned that if they make enough noise, they'll succeed. I had zero patience with the second type, and even went so far as to fire clients, banning them from returning to our office for service because all they did was make trouble and waste our time. And I bet you didn't think those little, we reserve the right to refuse service to any client signs ever got used. Well, I used them. Mostly, though, our complaints were the first type, and normally I did my best to make things right. This story is not about one of those times. This story is about my ego getting in the way of doing the right thing. A 30-ish man came in to see me, the office manager, one day, pointing out a mistake that was made on his tax return. I don't remember the details or why exactly I didn't just apologize and have the tax professional fix it and refund his fees, but I didn't. I got upset at this poor guy. For some reason, I defended and denied, and then I got angry. And I will never forget how calm that man stayed throughout my little fit, how he just kept repeating what he wanted. And he called me ma'am the entire time. I did give in finally simply because he wouldn't give up and because I knew that he was right and I was wrong. That was one of the most memorable lessons that I still carry about letting my ego get in the way, about mistreating people to save face 
and mixing up the types of client complaints because I didn't want to see the truth. A member of my staff had made a mistake. I was ultimately responsible for it. I needed to make it right. The happier ending to that story is that, unbeknownst to that man, he saved a lot of other clients from my ego. I went on to manage that office for seven years and then managed quite a few other offices after that. So today I want to talk about how the ego is formed, what are its roles, why does it have such negative connotations, and is our goal to be egoless? Or how can we work with our ego so that it serves our purposes and contributes to our well-being? There's a quote that I keep because it's such a good check. It goes like this. There are no dark nights of the soul. There are only dark nights of the ego. End quote. And that is by Robert Holden, Ph.D. The ego is very simply our personality formed in and from this lifetime. It's the conditioned part of us that is primarily developed during early childhood. If you have already listened to the episode titled, I Am, you know the ego is part of the mind. But I wanted to spend a little extra time on this misunderstood and sometimes problematic part of each one of us. What I didn't talk about yet in relation to the mind is how we have a higher mind and a lower mind. And the lower mind is ego. Some people only ever operate out of lower mind because higher mind is developed by maturing, gaining wisdom, and expanding into a higher reality. And some souls, depending on soul age, just aren't at that point where they are ready to or can do that yet. Higher mind is basically the ego all grown up, or perhaps the ego balanced by soul perspective often called the false self or the false personality. Ego is, once again, the part of us that is confined only to this small lifetime, and it believes only what our experiences and perceptions tell it, completely separated from the bigger, deeper soul experience or reality. It's kind of like the stage persona or the role played in a movie. If you can imagine if someone was playing a role without the bigger awareness of the real actor playing the part, if they really believed they were that role, that stage persona only. The ego doesn't know that there is anything beyond the illusion of who and what it is inside this lifetime, and it will fight to the bitter end to deny what I would call the matrix. (laughs) If it is shown the matrix, it will try all manner of denial, uh, disproving, and even just ignoring facts to keep its reality real because it's so deeply conditioned, conditioned by all that transpires or influences us in this lifetime. It is rather like the avatars that we create in a video game, or maybe if you've seen the movie Avatar. It is that same idea where We need a vehicle for our consciousness to be inside of of this experience. 
um, a, a way to connect us to that world uh, and connect with other beings that inhabit that world. The avatar itself has no awareness that it is not the totality of you or of me until you begin to inform it. Ego will also naturally reflect or be a microcosm of the macrocosm of group consciousness at the time in the setting that it's operating within. So for instance, our egos today tend to be mind-oriented or mind-led because our world at this time is is mostly mind-oriented due to uh, several thousand years of survival and significance focus. So our egos tend to be fearful and concerned mostly with survival and significance. And, of course, our third-dimensional world on Earth at this time is, is quite fearful and concerned with survival and significance. The ego is the part of us that fears death because it is, of course, the limited temporary part. It is the part that, that dies from lifetime to lifetime. This is easy to see when I do a QHHT session, a regressive hypnotherapy, as I take clients through lifetimes back-to-back, um, sometimes two or three at a time, it's very easy to see how uh, unique and differentiated the ego is from lifetime to lifetime. Uh, because it is formed within each lifetime, each childhood. Another way to think of the ego would be as the operating system that helps us fit in socially and uh, that seeks approval, which it would be part of a survival focus. And like any operating system, it is confined to operating within its programmed limitations. So once again, each lifetime will have a different ego or operating system with very unique programming. Now, As we transition out of third dimension, the ego will either transition to reflect the world that we exist in next, or it's possible the ego is even going to cease to be once we're in fifth dimension with an expanded consciousness. I don't know. I haven't run across information and haven't really asked that question yet. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, there is an episode titled The Shift, which talks about how Uh, the entire planet and most of the souls on it are transitioning from third dimension to fifth dimension. The ego is not inherently negative. It is simply intent on playing the role that fits into how the world is. So, of course, the mind is programmed for survival and it adapts, the ego, the lower mind will adapt as it thinks it must. Neither is the ego disposable. We must utilize it in order to learn from any given lifetime. It is our operating system. It is our avatar. It is how we relate to and connect to this world, this environment. It's a a vehicle of experience and learning. And if we shut it down or skip the ego, we are ignoring that part of ourselves that our soul very much intended to learn the most from. 
However, it is like a small child. So we must understand it and nurture it and help it mature in how it processes experience and perception. Going back to the idea of a computer operating system, the ego can be upgraded with additional programming added or even deleted. The ego is important and useful because it contains also the will. And the will is our conscious desires and decisions or our human drive. It's how we accomplish in this world. Every soul in the cosmos has a will that is used to determine what it does or does not want to do or be. So, of course, our human selves have a will that is very important within this lifetime because it drives our human being and doing. And both the soul will and the human will is absolutely free. So when it's said you always have a choice, that choice is your will in action. The will is the power of the ego. I have come to understand that we need to transform the ego, holding it as a valuable part of experiencing this reality while looking at and learning about the bigger picture, learning bigger truths and exploring who I really am behind this role that I am playing right now. Living from your heart is one way to begin to transform the ego. Because as you learn and grow, the ego will naturally learn and grow too. And remember, the heart is the seat of the spirit uh, soul. So it is your uh, direct connection or the essence of who you are in your bigger, truer self. Working with the ego can be as simple as becoming aware of when you are acting inside of your role and when you are acting more in line with your larger and true self. So for instance, whenever you are behaving within the energy of love, you are fully in your true self. And this can be an overlap with ego too, because once again, our egos follow the example of the heart if the heart is allowed to lead and and process and inform. There usually is some amount of overlap between our ego and our true self, just like an actor cannot help but bring parts of his true self into any role he plays. So likewise, when we behave or think or speak from things like shame or fear, which can look like survivalism, defensiveness, scarcity, pessimism, worry, (laughs) etc., or maybe narcissism, rage, or, or dogma, we are firmly rooted in the limited role or the ego. Now, there is plenty of help available if we ask for becoming aware of the bigger reality and transcending the ego at times so that we can begin to transform it. Transcending the ego, however, is not what I understand to be the ultimate goal. Transforming or evolving it is the goal and will yield the greatest lessons within a lifetime. Now, because the ego fears disappearing, If we begin to step into our true selves, it will fight at first for its viewpoints and limitations to keep its smaller reality in play because that seems more manageable to the ego. 
And this is where regular practices of self-care become very, very important because it is how you nurture and reassure the ego in the face of your expansion and your change. So gentleness and patience and acceptance without judgment will make all the difference when you begin working with the ego and working with expanding. I've learned to treat my ego like I do my small child self. Uh, It needs reassurance and being fully seen and known and understood. It needs expression. It definitely needs nurture and some way to contribute. So I do things like thank it for all the valuable lessons that I have learned and am still learning from it. I am truly grateful for every way that my ego helps me reach my goals and purposes. And I even ask it to support me in our bigger work. So we can dialogue with the ego via meditation or even things like automatic writing. And this is very useful, especially when you need to find out what is holding you back from something or what is really uh, scaring you, maybe that's underneath the surface, or making it difficult to change something. So often things like self-sabotage or so-called glass roofs are rooted in the ego. And once you know what the block is, then you can begin to work with it. Whenever I work with my ego, I communicate the benefits of any changes or goals of the growth I am seeking, and I ask for its cooperation and for its creative ideas. And like a small child, it's always surprising how many creative ideas it has. So I am still playing this role in this lifetime, and my ego is still the avatar. It's still the framework or the operating system that I am operating within. However, Because I also now hold a bigger picture of who I am, and I have gotten to see and fill other egos or roles that I've played in other lifetimes via QHHT, I can hold both this ego and my true self simultaneously and consciously. The same way that I might hold my very different roles as a wife, or as a sister, or as a mother. We are each playing the role of the ego here inside this lifetime. And yet, as we consciously bring our soul connection along, our thoughts and words and actions become based more on love and truth than just on the influences of this third dimension world that is the set or the stage for this lifetime. This is enlightenment, integration of ego and soul. This is salvation, redeeming ourselves from being only the temporary ego and becoming also the eternal soul. More and more with these practices and these understandings, My true self informs my ego and transforms it. So in closing, 
I wanted to share a daily practice that can begin to help reprogram the ego. And it seems simple and yet profound. And it's actually a little poem from Rumi. Rumi was an ancient mystic poet. It goes like this. Before you speak, let your words pass through three gates. At the first gate, ask yourself, is it true? At the second, ask, is it necessary? At the third, ask, is it kind? End quote. And I actually apply this to more than just my words. This can be applied to my thoughts and my actions. Your additional resources today are on YouTube. There is a talk titled From Egoic to Unconditioned Loving by Tara Brock. Brock is B-R-A-C-H. Wonderful place to start with uh, additional understanding about ego and how to work with it. And then Pat Rodegast and Judith Stanton's book called Emmanuel's Book, a manual for living comfortably in the cosmos. And third, another book titled The Dark Side of the Light Chasers by Debbie Ford. And that's it. That's it for today. Just a little short episode about our ego avatar. Remember to visit our author website, ddadair.com. That, uh, that's ddadair.com. And let us know what further questions you have about this subject. Also, Diana and I have written a fiction series of books set in the most historically accurate Atlantis possible. We plan to publish those this year in 2018. So if you have any interest in that, please sign up at our website for an email notification for when we publish. Thank you for your time today. Many blessings on you and your ego and blessings on your day.